Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the only podcast in English covering the Copa Libertadores, which is, of course, South America's grandest club competition. And on the pod this week, well, listen, we had to, even though this is a podcast about football and it's generally a pretty upbeat, positive podcast, of course, we had to talk about the coronavirus. And that is what we did talk about for a lot of the podcast, how it affects South American football, the severity of it in South America, and plenty more besides. Forgive us as we tried to delicately tread the path of tone in a correct and appropriate manner. Um, alongside me was, of course, Mr. Oliver Wilson. Ollie, one of the more difficult pods we've had to do, and I really hope this is not the last pod we do for, for a while, because, mate, I've uh, even if nobody's listened, I can genuinely say I've really, really enjoyed uh, doing these podcasts with you, mate. Yeah, the, it's always been a fantastic way to finish the working week off when we're covering the Libertadores um, down in South America. And uh, the Friday podcast is a great way to have a beer and just enjoy it. And... We've got to apologise for being a little late putting this one out. We're almost two weeks removed from the last round of uh, group games, but there have been our sponsors f- are going to be furious. Yeah, I know, I know. Uh, there's all, uh, of our, all of our sponsors. <laughs> there's uh, there's been a lot of tweets demanding, you know, when's it coming out? This is meant to be the only English language weekly podcast covering the Copa Libertadores. <laughs> you know, you guys are just you you're false advertising at this point. And look, <laughs> I'll put my hands up and say I just felt that maybe there were some more pressing mesh, uh, issues. To, to get through before getting ourselves into a stable position to be able to do this podcast. And I fully admit that I put myself and yourself ahead of the listeners at this point, Windsor. So I apologise. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I can only echo that apology, to be honest. I know we've let a lot of people down, Ollie, and I know, um, you know, we've got a lot of fans globally that sort of see this podcast as their benchmark for uh, for football information. So, yeah, listen, I can only reach out and apologise to you guys, but we did have to fly back from South America uh, to Europe in the heart of a global pandemic. And, uh, yeah, so that that's kind of the situation. But, listen, we, we've tried to make some sense of it all in this podcast. I hope that uh, I hope it comes across in the right way, and I hope you gain something from it. Uh, okay, enjoy the pod. Bruno Enrique gets in between the two. Victor Cuesta with a fair challenge. Still might fall for Enrique. Flamengo have the lead. Finish with a plum to put the seal on a fabulous Palmeiras performance. Gustavo Scarpa just helping himself to a goal. Takes it down, takes the strike on, and fires Boca in front. It's a quite splendid goal from Abila. Might be a second one here for Bruno Enrique. Into the bottom corner. Double delight for Bruno Enrique on the night for Flamengo. Well, we're living in anarchy, and your inability to even do a 3 2 1 <laughs> clap is just highlighting the world that we now live in. So. And I would usually apologise for that, Ollie, but you know, we're in this place now where uh, where anything goes. So Yeah, and we it, it, we're all out against each other now competing for resources. So there's no apologising. It's all looking over our shoulder at the person behind us, hoping they don't stab us in the back. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the end game, I think, is what they'd say. Welcome to 2020. Jeez. <laughs> oh, um, yeah, bolting out of countries in South America like you're the last kind of MI5 spy trying to bail out before the Argentines I'm... start <laughs> riling up again and going on some sort of mass brawl in protest against their government, locking them down and not providing the services they want. I mean, I don't know enough about Argentinian politics to know if that's actually a possibility or true or not. Um, you're far more clued up, I think, on that than me. But No, but Oli, I was going to say, I'm glad you said that feeling of, because it's now uh, about a week, isn't it, since we both fled South America to, to come back to Europe. And I'm glad you had that feeling because I literally, I, I packed it about a minute, left loads of stuff behind in the flat because I thought, I thought all the borders were about to close and actually we had like a couple of days left. But that feeling of kind of getting on the plane, you did feel like you were just running away, escaping. There was there was definitely a, a bit of a spy feel to it all. And absolutely surreal, man. I mean, to think that two weeks ago we were walking around in the late Argentine summer sunshine, pottering around Palermo. Life was good. Looking forward to a, a glorious few weeks ahead of Copa Libertadores action. And now here we are uh, back in the UK. And things are a little bit less rosy, but we will remain positive, of course. Yeah, yours was very much like a spy movie, though, because we spoke on, what, the Friday evening? 
and it was like, look, we've been asked potentially to stick around for a week because of the meetings that Commonball were going to have and uh, what was going to happen was going to be a little clearer after that. And then um, I get a message from you on Saturday morning being like, I'm going, <laughs> I'm out, <laughs> get me out of here. And I just imagine you having like the, um, the MI5 go bag, you know, where you've got a load of cash, a couple of different passports and a few changes of clothes just ready to go by the door just in case it hit the fan. And like, yeah, next thing was out and uh, out and away. It was, um, it was, yeah, it's surreal, really surreal for a job to, I don't, and I hope I will never have a freelance job end in that manner ever again. It's just peculiar, not having a clue and speaking to everybody, both home and abroad and in the office with friends, whoever, and everybody saying, we have no idea what you should do right now. If you want to stay, you can stay we understand if you want to go and it's like well that doesn't help because i don't know what's going on in argentina really with this are they just a month behind everybody else are they actually prepared and sorted with it and then in the uh, end get out yeah i guess for me and i could uh, for me it was just i don't think in my life ollie i've ever ever felt such a gut feeling to get home now uh, i mean i guess like i'm british and i just felt I need to get back to Britain. I mean, as it turns out, as we saw from uh, from Boris Johnson's address uh, yesterday, they're actually not going to help freelancers at all. So maybe we could have just stayed out in Argentina. But I felt that real homing. I've never felt like that before, where I just thought you've got to get back to your home country. Like this is a global crisis and you're best off at home when you're you know close to friends and family. I've never felt that strongly before in that way. But uh, yeah. Well, I had a, a quite a peculiar thing because, uh, you know, we were talking in the build-up to your departure and uh, and mine a few days later. And um, throughout the whole time, like particularly my folks have been like, look, if you can stay out there and it, there's not as many cases, like stay out there, that would be what we would think you should do. You've still got good sun. You can, like, it's quite a cheap place to live in Buenos Aires. So maybe that'll be better off for you as well. And at that point, they weren't really panic buying in, a lot of the shops, some of the big supermarkets were starting to get some really big queues as they were talking about a lockdown for 10 days or so in Argentina. But it wasn't like it is in the UK. And then the moment I got back, my parents were like, oh, we're really glad that you came back, actually, because we had this thing of like, we'd just rather you got home. It's like, well, you never said that. You were telling me to stay on the other side of the planet for half the time. <laughs> like, you've got to be clearer with what you want here, guys. Um, yeah, but we're in this point now where there's no, it almost feels like there's no right or wrong in some ways it, there's no, it's so difficult to offer any kind of clarity or clear advice uh right from top down really from government to 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 you or I so yeah it's it's an impossible one to judge and make the correct calls on yeah it's um as you, as we say it's just a completely unprecedented situation um what was it like actually leaving cuz you left on the saturday morning and the airport was still kind of busy at that time full flight and all that sort of thing Full of terrified Europeans, basically. Really? Yeah, yeah. Full of terrified Europeans. Uh, they didn't care where they were going in Europe. They just wanted to get back to Europe, which I get. It is odd because at that time and still now, Europe is far more the epicenter than South America have got cases. But I guess just people's instinct kicked in. And yeah, it was just full of absolute petrified uh, Europeans that did not want to be in South America for a global crisis, basically. Uh, that that was my... The, the flight was full um, I mean, I'm not saying that's a logical thing because the cases in South America is still comparatively low compared to Europe. So maybe it's the wrong decision. But yeah, for me, it was just full of Europeans trying to get home. How about you? How did you find it? Um, well, the airport was dead when I was there. Um, there was one big queue outside the Argentina Aerolinas um, check-in. But aside from that, there was, yeah, I mean, Argentina had stopped allowing people to come in from Europe by that point. Um, there were no direct flights to London at that point either, although there were still quite a few of the British Airways staff about just trying to help people and get them onto other flights, get them perhaps back home. So, yeah, it was really quiet. I mean, I walked straight up to an X-ray machine at security. There wasn't a queue at all there. Um, there was a queue for immigration. Um, obviously, was stood there for half an hour with 20 people in the queue, but that might just be them being thorough with who uh, who was departing. And then... Um, the flight to Sao Paulo was full though it was a full flight to Sao Paulo it was a pretty full flight from Sao Paulo to um, to London 
it was there were a lot more masks being used in Brazil. Uh, all of the people working at the airport had masks on and, uh, and gloves on. I didn't have a mask, no, no, because they don't really it's, do much. Yeah, that's what I've heard. And also, it's from the advice that I can see we're getting in Britain is that if you're young and healthy, you should not be buying a mask because you're taking it away from other people that actually do need to have a mask, right? As yeah. it, you know, there's a limited supply of masks at this point in time. And when the government say, look, everyone who needs a mask has a mask, then everyone else can go out and buy one. But at the moment, if you see like a 30 year old walking around with a mask on, they're being selfish because they bought one from someone and someone else needs one rather than them. And, and they the, don't do much. Yeah, as you said. And there are these masks that have got the, the filter on as well um, that apparently I, I've not seen much of this because I don't really buy into like the celebrity culture that much. I don't follow many people online. Um but apparently there have been a lot of celebrities kind of posting from their home while wearing these masks with like these proper filters on, which is a, being seen more as a, a bit of a flex from people like, oh, look, I've got one of the super special special masks. And I'm Jesus. But like if you're at home, you shouldn't be needing a super special mask. You should just no. be at home. Like, yeah, it's all I mean, celebrity. Yeah, this is a different a different <laughs> tangent, but. Uh, celebrities in the next three or six months, Ollie, I, I can't I can't handle the content they're putting out, I don't think. So. Yeah, there's there's a fair it's, few it's, things that already just need to be ah, let's just leave deleted. that. We don't need yeah. that. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I mean it should all just be news. It should just be straight above board hard news. Yeah. Stone cold facts and truth and experts. The only people that should be allowed to talk should be medical experts. And what about the London Coronavirus podcast? I mean that's I read the description that was trying to provide some positivity around this time. And then I was sure. very surprised that you were working on it, Dave. <laughs> 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 um, but I will be, yeah, I will be diving into probably, that this week. It might not reflect uh, some of the chats that we've had. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. But I mean, no, listen, Ollie, I think it's, I, I totally know what you mean. I do like to consider myself as a positive person, but clearly it's better to try and find anything positive out of the situation if you possibly can whilst not being um you know you know what i mean not being disrespectful or oblivious or blasé about the severity of the situation and as i said on the podcast on that podcast yesterday that i mean mate the amount of people that are dying in italy is just it is staggering mm. and it's all very well you look at it and you know saying oh it's people who are very old and and that you know that, that it's, it's human life that is a lot of grandmothers granddads people's sisters yeah oh, i don't know it's, it's actually i'm genuinely not be, it's, it's it's yeah it's absolutely heartbreaking that some of the numbers coming out of italy yesterday were just 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 staggering yeah i, I would say we're kind of almost fortunate that we're not at that point yet in the united kingdom but you wouldn't put it past that being something that happens either it's just everything that happens at the moment in mainland europe particularly in spain and, and italy is something that i just continually look at and think well what three weeks and we're at that point now i mean it's very difficult to look forward positively because we've seen the worst that can happen with this already in terms of what's happened in china what's happened in italy what's happening in spain at the moment and nobody's cracked the code yet of how to avoid those pitfalls and you know the awful things that happen in hospitals with people choosing who gets to live and who gets to die and stuff and it's like oh great so that's that's coming and that's kind of one of the reasons why i ended up leaving argentina and not staying there because at least if i'm in the uk because look my spanish isn't good at the best of times it's, it's far from good it's way less than good um <laughs> Yeah, it's minimal at the best, unless unless they're talking about how many beers they're going to order and what kind of steak they want to get. I'm probably sure. out of the loop. Well, but then you can nail it. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm all over that. And if the government starts issuing decrees over beers and steaks, then I can listen to those press conferences quite easily. But at least I'm in the UK, I can understand what the government is telling me and what is going to happen, as opposed to having to try and go through social media on Argentinian news sites and try and get the up-to-date uh, knowledge of what they're planning on doing at that point right now and by the time i've translated that and worked out what's going on and how that's going to affect me then it was just like something else was happening and something else was changing so when it got to that point and i was just getting very confused about how argentina was dealing with it it was like well i'd rather be in the uk where i can understand at least what i'm being asked to do and what the rules and restrictions are going to be etc and that's that's why i split nothing obviously a few more things other than that but that was the key one for me just being able to get knowledge that i could take in and understand 
so peculiar <laughs> so he, peculiar yeah um yeah i yeah I, I don't know what to say Ollie. yeah really tough and that's that's where we're at mate but th- but this is the copa libertadores podcast mr wilson yeah um <laughs> so Should we talk football or try to talk football if it's not too frivolous it's also so i'm so even now i'm thinking about the last 10 minutes of us talking and i'm thinking jesus did i say something that was insensitive that could be taken the wrong way do you know what i mean like it's so tricky to to, to grasp the severity of this event and also be able to talk about positive or practical things or or something as insignificant right now as football but we are a, a copa libertadores podcast so yeah mate maybe we should talk a bit of footy yeah just to touch on that though about the insensitivity thing and to use a, a nice football phrase at the end of the day winter anybody that has worked with us knows that we don't mean anything insensitively and we don't mean bad will on anybody so anything that we do say if you can take it out of context and and think that we're being insensitive that's fine but that's on their opinion rather than yeah. ours i think i'd say um to, to put a footballing scope on it uh when are we going to have it back because there's only so much like rugby from australia that's still being played although it is being played and all on sky sports i think at the moment that's not a plug for sky that's just some live sport that is on you're still hustling for work, Wilson, because I don't think there's that many opportunities at Sky right now. No, but there's going to be a new um, Australian rugby podcast uh, being set up in the next few weeks or so, I'm sure, once I get cabin fever inside my <laughs> flat. Um, yeah, and, and obviously, as a rugby expert, Wilson, I'll be first on to uh, dissect some of the tactical stuff going on, right? Well, I mean, uh, a corona and rugby expert at this point, so you can hit every single button of um, when the fans cool. are going to be back in the stands and, and, and why Collingwood are able to break down their opposition so easily when they come on the counter. So, I mean, I look forward to that, to be <laughs> honest. Copa Libertadores. <laughs> um, yeah, when when is it? We we spoke I mean, off the stopped. podcast, yeah, but yeah. When, when do you think it's coming back, if it's coming back? Well, I guess the, the answer to that question and the question alongside that is when do you think we can return to some kind of normality with coronavirus, right? So, and that could be in three weeks if there's some mad genius in a laboratory somewhere in a part of the world that suddenly can find a cure or it could be three years i i don't know nobody knows and i don't think like if you listen to experts only they're saying a year 18 months before the vaccine but i also heard an expert yesterday saying that is guesswork it could be way before that it could be way after so yeah um Let's say if we're going on the basis, let's try and be positive. So let's go on the basis of in a year, things are going to look a lot rosier and the world will be back to normal-ish, maybe. Um, I'm going to say that I think by late this year, November, December, things will start again completely behind closed doors with, um, you know, without ball boys touching the ball or with gloves and every player will have to be tested, uh, you know, uh, within 24 hours of them taking the field of play. They'll be... Uh, doctors and nurses on stand but that kind of thing Ollie you know so I think it will come back November December but with a great deal of restrictions I would I mean I, I said to you October uh, particularly with the Libertadores I reckon around about October because South America at the moment isn't feeling what everywhere else has kind of felt um, they may well end up feeling the pressure of the coronavirus is equally as everybody else has who has every country that's had to deal with it which is pretty much everybody anyway at this point the only thing i do worry about is the way it's spreading in brazil right now and with brazilian clubs having so much power in south american football so much of a voice a strong voice uh, and such a high representation as well obviously in the tournament with uh, seven brazilian sides in this group stage seven of 32 is a big chunk you couldn't remove those teams for a year there's no way that would happen particularly with Flamengo as the defending champions. Um, although perhaps Gremio and Internacional should be removed after what happened in their last outing, which we'll come on to uh, you know a, what? a little later on. Completely forgotten about that until you just mentioned, Oli. The savagery Comple- of the Porto Alegre. Completely forgotten about that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, disgraceful. We'll come on to it in a little bit. Um, but I, I do think that if Brazil is struggling with how it is right now, and the other South American countries are able to contain, I don't think it will continue until Brazil gets a hold of and can work out a way to get teams in and out of the country with almost minimal chances at best of spreading the virus and contracting the virus. Because everybody is worried about 
that one flight that carries that one person into their country just when they've got a grip on dealing with the virus and it could easily come from a football team. That would take one person for it to kind of start spreading again without anybody really having a track on it. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think definitely in terms of football and yeah, I, I, I completely agree. I think the last thing that will happen, Ollie, is the borders open, right? So, I mean, I think in this stage of trying to get and see the light at the end of coronavirus, I think that a lot of things have got to happen and get better before borders open again. Like That'll be one of the last things I would say. And everyone entering any new country is going to be tested on arrival. It'll be something like that. Um, mm. You know, through immigration, you, you put your bag through, you get your laptop scanned, passport, coronavirus positive or negative. It'll be something like that. Unless there's a, you know, unless there's a cure within that time frame, and we can just pray to the science gods that that happens. Yeah, the uh, for some sort of vaccine to come because it takes what well, in China it took about four hours for people to get tested and get the result back of whether they had it or not. So yeah. it's 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 a short process, but it's not that short. It's not like it can be done at an airport with people getting off a plane and getting tested. It's not you know stick your finger in there. Oh, you've got it kind of thing it's it would take some time but for individual football clubs perhaps if they fly in a day earlier to the places that they're going to be playing and then they get tested on site when they land at the airport but that's a big it's a big thing to do for what in these times is quite a frivolous thing sport you know it's yeah it's been easily dropped and it would be foolish to make it a priority despite the number of and i don't say this with any sort of bias whatsoever but the number of jobs livelihoods and and the amount of money that is flying around the world of sport in general in this modern day era. So it would be, I think it would be reckless to prioritize it in that way. So I'd love to say, yeah, I think October is the the best bet to give it a long period of time for everything to kind of, to get a grip with everything that's going on. But at the same time, we're just in unprecedented situation where we have no idea what's going to go on. I, at this point, I'd, be willing to say there won't be a Copper America next year or a Euros 2021. Yeah. I just no, don't I, see I it. Agree. I agree. I completely agree, mate. It's just too international and it, I think it's speculative to, to presume that both of those two events are going to happen. Uh, every, I, I keep saying it. Everyone's guessing, Ollie. We really, really don't know, do we? But uh, that's all we can do at this stage and guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know how else we can talk about the Limpedoras now on here, to be honest, aside from looking back at the games. But I mean... And until there's the idea of it's coming back, there's not much else we can really think about in, in a footballing sense, I don't think. No, I mean, I, I was just going to say, so, you know, we actually had had a big chunk of the Libertadores already this year, right, mate, with all the qualifying stages. And then we had two rounds of group games and then uh, there was, but there are four more uh, rounds of group games to go. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Four more games yeah. still to go. Yeah. Uh, but that's where, that's where we've been halted. So, um, and the Liberta, I mean, one thing I would say about the structure of the Libertadores is now it takes place over the whole year, Ollie, right? And actually, a lot of the match weeks have been done because we had all the stages of qualification, which in the Libertadores and the Sudamericana is a really big deal. It's quite a lot just to get to the group stages that takes place throughout the back end of January and all of uh, February. So there's that. So there's still four match weeks left of the group stages. Then you've got two match weeks left of the round of 16 quarterfinals, semi-final and final works out, works out rather, I should say, at uh, about 10 or 11 match weeks left. So the only thing that I'd say that's you know, a comparatively good thing in terms of structure is that if the world does return to some kind of normal in September, October time, they could still get the games in. Do you know what I mean? I don't think that's unrealistic. Mm. No, you can, you can knock the games out as long as you've got a couple of months to go. And, uh, and I know it's been thought the idea of perhaps every single uh, round in the UEFA Champions League and Europa League being one leg. Uh, I don't know how they'd work out where they would play each game, but they were talking about that being a possibility that, you know, it's not a two-legged affair anymore. If they did that, then you're suddenly only looking at, you know, six weeks plus, uh, no, five weeks even plus the final. Mm -hmm. So you could do it in under a month and a half if you really wanted to, if they tried to force it through. Which, again, wouldn't surprise me. I think it would be the best thing to do. I know there'd be obviously frustration at not having two-legged affairs and and where would the priority go for who would host that one leg or would it be done on a neutral ground somewhere? Would it be behind closed doors? I imagine it would be. But I, I do think there are ways to get this tournament done. And I think all of these tournaments, domestic leagues, Champions Leagues, Europa Leagues, the Libertadores, they all need to be 
finished and reached their conclusion somehow. You can't just hit a reset button. That causes far too many other problems. Yeah, I, I agree that everything should should have closure and should be completed. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult. It's, it's fun. This isn't the same at all. But I, I, I can't remember whether we talked about this off pod, Ollie. But the fact that Football Manager are not including coronavirus in their latest update for this season, right? <laughs> so, no, so they're just kind of not. They're not. But for me, that's for me. You're airbrushing something there. Like this is part of football history, and more importantly, it's part of human history, and it should be reflected. I think in in most forms of entertainment that come after that. I, I don't think that uh, something like Football Manager, and I know it's a video game, whatever, it's, it's um, people's escape from reality, you could say, so why put actual reality in there? Well, because it's it's a hugely important part of the history of the sport. Football will look different after this, and that's what people need to, to I think, to really comprehend. Are we ever going back to 60,000 people in a, in a football stadium, Ollie? Like, are we realistic? Like, let's say even there's a cure for coronavirus. Are we going back to 60,000 people in a football stadium and wait for what? The next version of coronavirus? But uh, people need to, to, to think about the fact that football is not going to return to quote unquote normal. Well, experts have said, though, that, you know, if you're one person and you go to a football game, the, the most likely thing you're going to do is infect like the three people around you at that time, which is not a good thing. You, you shouldn't be you should be limiting infection as much as you can obviously but it's not like if one person went to a game 60,000 people would have it that that's not the case so I do think we go back to stadiums eventually being full once there is a grip on the coronavirus um it, it's not a big trouble for some of the sides in the Libertadores because there's a lot of space at a lot of those grounds sometimes and uh particularly the games in Bolivia and Peru you could probably space everybody out and give them two meters apart from each other and that would be all right Independiente del Valle will be all right won't they oh definitely yeah with their what six thousand fans that they've got that they chuck into the Olympic Stadium in the Quito yeah I think I think that would be more than okay um and you know they may benefit off this even more if I'm honest which would be a great thing for me I really enjoy this Independiente del Valle side but um so I 100% think we will end up going back to you know big stadiums being full uh it would just take a longer period of time than the when the football gets going as for the whole football manager thing I mean you can't play a, a new game of football manager though Windsor and have half of a season three quarters of a season depending on where you're playing and what league you're covering and then suddenly the game stops indefinitely because we don't have a time frame on when it's going to come back so then you just be sitting playing a, a football manager game where you're watching the coronavirus just happen for what a season two seasons who knows like they can't write that into the game's programming why not well because they don't know when it's going to end and if they were to put a, a time frame on it ending, isn't that more damaging for people who might look at it and just go, oh, I see, on Football Manager, it came back in May. So maybe they'll come back in May. You can't, you can't be doing that. You've got to let people have their escape. So you want to you wanna airbrush it out then? Out of a video game, yeah. Not the news and the general discussion, for sure. You got to, but that enti- that entire video game, mate. People, people say, "Oh, it's a video game. It's not reality." But the whole point of that video game is that it replicates reality as close as possible. Yeah, they spent what two decades and like they you know, trying to get that video game to really, really feel like you are managing a football team. That that's the whole point of it. Yeah. So then to be like, oh, but but not that much. So, so, so we want to get close. Let's get close to reality, as close as reality. And then when reality actually says, "Okay, this is reality," they go, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! Not not that, no." It doesn't make sense to me. So when would if you were in charge of uh, the football manager and the content that goes into it, when would you have on your game database football coming back? <laughs> well, pay me what someone that organises the football manager marketing strategy gets and uh, I'll give you an answer, Wilson. Uh, you know. <laughs> Neither of us are getting paid at this point, Windsor. Well, Don't exactly. worry about that. Yeah, thank you, Rishi Sunak. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah... <laughs> I don't want to make this about politics, obviously, but yeah. No, apparently you want to make it about football manager at this point. You got a real bee on your bonnet with this one. Look, you gotta you gotta give people you gotta give people their escape. You can't they can't predict when it's gonna happen, so you can't put it in. Maybe like look, once it all gets done with and we get back to something that resembles normality and football carries on again, maybe then they can write it into the game software or something like that that it jumps from uh, what February 2020 to November 2020 fingers crossed but yeah 
I don't think at this point it's something that they can do right now. I mean, the uproar as well. If you, now a lot of people are turning to Football Manager to escape this and give themselves something to do. I mean, the number of sports journalists that are tweeting their current Football Manager teams and how it's going, almost live tweeting their days on it, is quite staggering considering you know, a lot of them are grown-up men. So, and, and most not, of them, you know, <laughs> and not fifteen-year-olds. So, yeah. uh, and I, I don't begrudge it or anything, but it's just like, okay, do, oh, you're a nice, you're a nicer bloke than me, maybe Wilson. Maybe I, I don't know about that. I'm still <laughs> no. A, that's the part where you're supposed to say, no, nah, no, nah, it's because this, but no, all right, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm still a cynical sod. I still put us on a similar level, to be honest, mate. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, the Copa Libertadores. Then Wilson, we don't know when it's coming back. We do know that they had that second round of group games. Um, yeah. Well, look, <laughs> let's let's run through some of the bigger games from that round of group games. Um, both you and I are going to have uh, both you and I are going to have a little hazy recollections of this because it's all it's almost two weeks ago now since we last had Libertadores football. It feels I mean, like two years. It's gone very quickly, very yeah. quickly indeed. Um, unfortunately, we had some great games as well. Um. Let's start start with something that I want to I touched on and really am so disappointed by. In a world that has been filled with disappointments in the last month or so, this was one of the biggest disappointments. Gremio against Internacional, game that you covered, uh, a nil nil draw in Porto Alegre. One of the two, well, one of the biggest derbies in South American football. The two biggest, two of the biggest sides in Brazilian football, arch rivals from the same city meeting in the Libertadores for the first time. This was built up to be what a way to finish the week, you know, Friday, uh, sorry, Thursday evening and ends up as a nil nil, an absolute carnage. I mean, it's just a disgrace. Six, yeah. six yeah. red cards, Windsor? Yeah, something like that. I mean, it, it was it was ridiculous. It was a disgrace. It was pathetic, to be honest, um, because it well, didn't even stem from anything. It was just an excuse. And half of the, you know, some of the red cards and stuff were people on the bench that had only joined the club a few months ago. Like, don't pretend me that you, don't pretend to me that you're so invested in this derby that you know generations of your family are from that area and you can really feel from the bottom of your heart that this deep. You know, no, come on, some of these guys are, and only joined the club last month and yeah. they're just using it as an excuse to push people around. And yeah, I thought it was pathetic. And in commentary, I mean, I, we had a giggle about this because I kind of misjudged it by saying, "Oh, it's threatening." You know, very British, obviously, <laughs> it's threatening to bubble and boil over here. Uh, as it was clearly doing quite a lot more than that. So, um, <laughs> but then you know what? After that, I just I barely wanted to talk. To be honest, do you know what I mean? There was nothing to, additional to to say. It was after you said how ridiculous it is. It was it was just it was pathetic. Yeah. Yeah. You just find it's one of those ones where you just find yourself looking at it and going, "Oh, there's another thing." It was all yeah. over the pitch. Anybody that didn't see it, get onto the YouTube uh, couple of Dodoro's channel and have a look at the highlights of it. It's not it's not good viewing in terms of it's not what you want to see in football. It's very similar to what you get in uh, like baseball uh, when the bench is clear, when a pitcher throws a pitch at a batter and it hits him, and then everybody starts having a big old ruck in the middle of the diamond. It's exactly like that. Just everybody. Off the bench, bibs flying all over the place, fists flying, but it's not really proper fighting. It's a lot of pushing and, oh, hold me back, hold me back. Oh, you better hold me back, otherwise I'll be so angry with you. It's just childish. Eight red cards in total. Two for substitutes, Paolo Miranda and Bruno Paredes. Uh, six for players actually on the field. Just just a disgrace for Brazilian football and and. For the Libertadores in general, because this should have been an iconic match. I mean, pre-game, the atmosphere looked cracking, and, and uh, yeah, it was it was buzzing, and and that's what people should have been thriving off is playing an exciting game of football off that. But yeah, massive letdown, massive letdown. Um, elsewhere that week, uh, let's I'll run through some of the scores just quickly. Yeah, please do, Ollie. Remind me as much as I listen. <laughs> we started it. With uh, Catolica uh, from Chile losing to America de Cali, the team described as the Flamengo of Colombian football, their first win since returning back to Libertadores after, I think, an 11-year absence or 19-year. I can't remember off the top of my head now. I haven't got all of my notes with me, I'm afraid. Uh, Santos with a 1-0 win over Delphin, who grabbed that 1-1 draw against Olympia in their first game back in the Libertadores, the Ecuadorian champions, though losing to the Brazilians quite confidently, really. Uh, that was played behind closed doors, but... Not 
due to any sort of coronavirus protection. That's just because Santos at the moment have fans banned from the Libertadores from their home games right now uh, due to a fracas with Independiente two years ago in the Libertadores that basically turned into an absolute riot on the pitch. And so Comibol said, right, you're not going to have fans at your uh, home games for the time being in the Copa Libertadores. And of course, this is their return since their departure in 2018 to this tournament. Um, Bolivar got a 2-0 win over second division in Argentina's side Tigre. A very good win for the Bolivians on home soil and difficult to go. Boca Juniors against Independiente Medellin, Windsor. This is, uh, you were on the Boca game, were you not? I mean, you tell me, Ollie. I, I, honestly, <laughs> it is just so long ago, two weeks that it feels. What was the score? Three nil to Boca. Yeah. It, oh, I this was, was in that. this was in the Bombonera with um, Reynoso's wonderful free kick, wasn't it? And then Salvio with a couple as well. Yeah, no, Boca were really in control, looked really good. Yeah, my um, my memories are fresh now. I re- Boca this year, and Boca, you know, they they were so defensive last year under Alfaro, right? But yeah. this year. Under Russo, who of course has won the Libertadores with Boca before, they look good. And I know you backed you backed them to win it actually at the start of the tournament. Mm. And we might have to revise some of our predictions because uh, we couldn't really have forecast the uh, six, potential six month <laughs> absence from the Libertadores. But listen, you got Salvio, who is really really dangerous and exciting, and Via, who's just so pacey. And I think those two down the flanks. I think if Boca had like. A proper striker and I know you might jump in here Ollie, and say oh well they've got Tevez and one or two others yeah potentially but if they had like a, a Borre or someone like that to really act as a focal point to their attacks I think they'd be fantastic but uh, those two you know Salvio and, and, and Villa I think they can win the Libertadores with just those two definitely yeah I think Miguel Angel uh, Russo going with two up front at the moment with Soldano and Tevez almost highlights the fact that they don't have a key guaranteed strike man Tevez has looked better since the new manager came in uh, a few months ago, but really, you know, Ramon Abila, Juan Chope, he's the big bulky centre forward, but I just don't think he's considered reliable enough in front of goal and obviously a slightly different style of footballer as well to the one that, or the style of football that they seem to want to play right now. But yeah, Salvio, Villa and then Reynoso and Capaldo as well off the bench to be fresh pairs of legs to support the attack. I, I Boca are a fun side to watch and they scored some cracking goals. Uh, in in this game against Independiente Medellin in a comfortable 3-0 victory. Libertad had a cracking game against Caracas from Venezuela uh, with a 3-2 victory after the Paraguayans found themselves 2-1 down on home soil but came back to win 3-2. Goals from Carlos Ferreira, a brace for him, and uh, Ivan Franco as well getting the winner in the 80th minute uh, to sink the Venezuelans' hopes of getting a vital point on the road. Palmeiras against Club Guarani I was covering and uh, we had a little bit of Libertadores history uh, with Adriano getting a hat-trick and becoming a, uh, one of three players to score a hat-trick in the Champions League and the couple of Dodoras. I'm still holding on to that stat, Windsor, by the way. I still want to... And are you going to... Ollie, you've got to tell, you know, how how we managed to drip-feed that statistic into the masses. Oh. Myself, myself and Ollie Wilson, we do a highlight show on the Libertadores every Friday. And uh, because I just think it's such a great stat. Say it again, Ollie. Uh, Luis Adriano, the third player to score a hat-trick in the Champions League and the Copa Libertadores. That is not an easy thing to do. I mean, hence the fact that there's only three people, three players in history who've done it, right? I mean, mm-hmm. to, first of all, you've got to play for a Champions League club. Not easy. That puts you in the 0.0001% of professional footballers. Then you've got to be like a forward player that could, like scoring a, a hat-trick in the Champions League. I mean, that's tough. And then to, to have done it in the in the Copa Libertadores as well, I mean, sensational. And the story is that, um, yeah, me and Ollie have a highlight show, and uh, it, we, yeah, we we basically managed to to drip feed that information into the highlight show where I I said that uh, Luis Adriano had scored a hat trick. I said there was two other players who have also achieved that feat, and Ollie Wilson will tell you a little bit later, and then a little bit later on, about half an hour later into the show, Ollie, you came up with the goods to put the punters uh, out of their misery if well, they were racking their brains. You know they were sat there for the whole of the show after you said that, thinking, oh, who are the others? Who are the others? God, who is it? They better tell us some point. And yeah, we got into the top I ten. Hope so. And uh, <laughs> the top 10 goals from that week. And uh, as Luis Adriano slotted his home, I read out the results. That was one of the most fun things that I've had doing on the uh, on the show. But it also threw in such a curveball because we, we have to record that show in one take on yep. an hour show, basically. And uh, in, in it's, you know, the script's in Spanish as well, I should say. Yeah, we, we get one look at it before recording it. 
you get to translate a lot of um, interviews from Spanish into English and Portuguese into Spanish into English. And uh, it's all about the next game. Yeah, that's that's just the that's always the translational. Yeah, and, and playing together, you know, putting in a real good hustle, hundred and ten percent. I mean, it's the cliche stuff. To be honest, most of the that's exactly what all of the interviews say anyway. After every single pitch side interview after ninety minutes, so yeah. Um, but it did also mean that, like, with you teeing it up like that, just had to be make sure that I did put in that Jordan and Neymar were the other two uh, that got hat tricks as well as Luis Adriano in both competitions. Because if I hadn't, it would have looked even more silly. But um, yeah, that was a that was a good giggle on the highlight show. In fairness, Palmeiras looked fantastic in this game as well against Club Guarani, who were a side that I think both you and I were quite impressed with in the qualifying rounds. Um, Adriano gets applauded, of course, but Ronnie, the uh, player they brought in from Atletico Paranaense, absolutely superb on the left flank. They've moved Dudu, who was playing out wide for last year in the Libertadores. They've moved in him into the number 10 role and actually they've got a very fluid front four then because Dudu likes to go outside to cover either Ronnie or, or Willian when they, when they drop in. And Luis Adriano drops deep as well, allowing the others to kind of push a bit further forward. And it's just a very flexible front four that's anchored by Bruno Enrique and, uh, and Ramirez behind them in the middle of the park. And when we do get back to the Copa Libertadores being played again, the green giant of Brazilian football is one that they're going to score a lot of goals against a lot of teams. And if they can keep a fairly solid defensive line, then they've got a really good chance of going a very long way in this tournament. Very impressed with them to start it. Yeah, and I think um, I've seen Palmeiras once or twice, and yeah, they look really strong, and Dudu and Ronnie, just exciting, aren't they? Just in that final third, you think something's going to happen. So, yeah, definitely one of the, the main contenders. Of course, uh, Bobadilla gets his uh, name on love the score him. sheet as well. Love him. <laughs> Absolutely love him. Unit. I mean, he's so, he's like a wardrobe, so wide, but lovely little feet as well. And I don't really remember him much in Europe, Ollie. Like, can you remember him playing in Europe? No, not at all. Not. I, d- I definitely, I'd be lying if I said that I actually remember him playing when he was in Europe. But no, love him watching him at the moment in, in South American football, yeah. He's, he's, to me, like if you took Tevez and put him under an enlarging ray. Yeah. Like, because he does have that look of like, he's obviously come from, or he looks like he's come from a kind of a rough background and whatever. He's got the neck tattoos going on. Look, I'm definitely judging on, you know, on looks here, which isn't a great thing to do. But he does play as well with that real chip on his shoulder. He's happy to be real physical and, and bullish. But he's also, as you mentioned, he's got a lovely little touch for uh, for a big centre forward and a very good finish as well. He's a, he's a good little little player he's a good big player to uh to keep an eye on throughout this tournament but guarani falling to palmeiras peñarol uh finally get able to get their first win of the tournament the uruguayan giants against jorge wilsterman on home soil in montevideo although an own goal giving them their one nil victory so peñarol still haven't scored in the libertadores this year colo colo the chilean side beat atletico paranaense in santiago with a one nil victory muche the argentinian winger with the header able to uh get past the Brazilian side who really have struggled to finish off their chances. And once again in this game, as they did in the uh, first group opener against Peñarol on home soil, they created a number of chances just without that finishing touch and Bocelli unable to get them out of jail this time late on. Uh, River Plate hitting eight against Deportivo Binacional. Uh, Welcome to the Thunderdome, I think, for the Peruvian minnows right there. Uh, Mate, it was 8-0. It easily... and. I mean, easily could have been 18-0. I thought it was <laughs> the most one-sided game of, certainly the most one-sided Copa Libertadores game I've ever seen. Potentially the most one-sided game of football I've ever seen. It was ridiculous. Uh, River missed a couple of penalties. Uh, Borre missed about five great chances. Uh, they missed one-on-ones. I mean, it was it was astonishing. Um, and I just thought, I just loved, I mean, I love Marcelo Gachado anyway, right? But I just love Marcelo Gachado on the touchline who didn't dare, he didn't crack a smile, because obviously what's happened with River recently when they lost the Argentine Super League title to Boca on the final day of the season, when they really should have won it with two games to spare, they were they were in such pole position. And Gachado obviously fuming at that. And he just didn't even, there was, not a, there was not a flicker of a smile until it was about five or six nil. And then he just let out this little release. Um, and we could talk about Gachado maybe uh, in a little bit. Oli, because I just thought he dealt with the whole losing the Superliga thing so stoically. But yeah, River, they look... I mean, Binacional were woeful. And let's not forget, this is a football club, Binacional, that 
are only nine, nearly 10 years old. So let's not judge them too harshly. But I can only say what I saw with my eyes. And that was River were good. Binacional were beyond hopeless. It's one of those games, I think, like the uh, the opening game for River Plate against Liga de Quito, the loss that they had in Ecuador, where we still don't learn anything about River Plate. This one behind closed doors, again, not because of any sort of uh, problems with the coronavirus, because this was on the Wednesday evening before they closed the doors of Argentinian football. Um, but it, more of a case of there's no atmosphere in the Monumental, completely empty. They're, they're playing a, a side that aren't very good. And Deportivo Binacional won because of their altitude advantage, you feel, against Sao Paulo in the first group game. This is more what Deportivo Binacional are going to be like. And this was River Plate just kind of getting some stuff off their chest, as you say, after the frustration of the domestic campaign. And and obviously, they were very poor a week ago uh, before this game against Liga de Quito on the road. So we, until River Plate play Sao Paulo, which could be a long time away now, I don't know what this River Plate side is like when it's been tested. What I do know is that it's been tested in the league towards the end of the season. It's come up short. So do we have as much faith as we did in Gachado and River Plate to be able to have a big run at the trophy this year? Right now, I'd say no. I'd say out of the two Argentinian sides, I'd go with Boca. Nah, I think Gachado's reached three finals in five years with pretty much... I mean, he's, he's had to evolve the group, but he's lost Palacios, but it's the same group of footballers. I don't see why they can't reach the Libertadores final again. Um, yeah, I think it's quite a strange time for River. Definitely feels like the end of a cycle and Gashada's contract runs out in 2021 and he would definitely leave by then, if not before. So uh, I don't know. And this obviously is a kind of break now, which could be two months, could be could be nine months. Is uh, It just throws another little spanner in the works. Yeah, especially with contracts and the times that they end because the time is the time. You know, January 2021 yeah. or June 2021 is when your contract is up. Whether you've played a game of football or not since the middle of 2020, since early 2020. So, look, however long this goes on for, there is a, a possibility that this is the last game that Gachado ever manages in the Copa Libertadores. Yeah. For River Plate. Yeah. No, no, no. You're absolutely right, I think. Um, but then that go. I mean, do you think South American football is going to start again quicker than European football? I personally do. Because of the lack of cases at the moment? Yeah. Okay, you've you've got and the positivity for South America. I like that because I I, I still Argentine worry. Football's, Argentine football certainly. I mean, uh, listen, Argentina can be quite a disorganized country. I think it's fair to say, Wilson. But in this situation, I know we were talking off pod about this. You know, they reacted pretty quickly. They saw the mistakes of Europe. And again, I'm not an expert, clearly. But you know, their case, their the amount of cases, confirmed cases, I should say, of coronavirus. Uh, people it's uh, it's relatively low so you'd imagine that domestic football in Argentina you, that could be six months away or a bit less maybe we'll uh, we'll see but it's just something to think about particularly with the uh, the contracts of a uh, number of key players and managers in the Libertadores will be coming to an end perhaps in the next eight months or so and uh, yeah depending on how the Libertadores gets restructured if they are going to continue this year's tournament and and try and get it done somehow or some way whenever it restarts again it could be problematic. Um, let's move away from River Plate. Independiente del Valle took on Junior in that fantastic Group A that's providing so much entertainment. And Independiente del Valle just continue to provide entertainment with a 3-0 win over the Colombians. And three golazos, Windsor. Is that what you'd say on the highlight show? Yeah, I called it a golazo because they all were. I mean, this is Independiente del Valle, the most astonishing story in South American football the last few years. Libertadores finalists, Copa Sudamericana winners uh, last year, and they just go from strength to strength. I mean, it is astonishing what I'll let you talk about their boss because I know you're um, you've got the uh, infatuation with him in the same way that I've got with Gashano. But I think uh, yeah, incredible. I mean, they go- looks like they're going to qualify for the group if and when things resume, and they they could win it. I mean, they're that good; they could win it. Well, Miguel Angel Ramirez just has uh, his team has a lot of versatility in the way that they can play. In you know, we saw against Barcelona in the opening group games, that in the first group game, sorry, that they can play that little penetrative football inside the 18-yard box and cause problems for sides that sit deep. Now, Junior didn't sit as deep; they tried to press them higher up the pitch slightly. And so Miguel Angel Ramirez kind of second half said, all right, let's start peppering a few long shots down. And we saw three fantastic strikes from distance, Guerrero, Casado, and Faravelli, 
all pulling the trigger from uh, outside the 18-yard box and all finding the back of the net with wonderful strikes. So I love the ability to adapt and change. I like that he's still got a set style of football that he wants to play, wants to play short, sharp, passing football. Yeah, I mean, why not? Why not independent? I definitely think they'll get out of this group, without a doubt. It's The interesting one is what's coming up around the corner, however far away the corner is, is the games against Flamengo because Flamengo have been truly brilliant so far. And, uh, yeah, yeah, they have, yeah. And these two have, have met in the Recopa already this year, and Flamengo were too good for Independiente del Valle, despite y- the Ecuadorians yeah. having possession. Yeah, no, they were, and I think they won 5-2 on aggregate or something like that. But it, I think that Independiente del Valle gave them a game, so it'd be fascinating to see how the two games in the group stages between the pair, uh, between the pair of champions in 2019 unfolds. Uh, Olympia getting a 2-1 win over Defensa y Justicia, Hernan Crespo's Argentinian side, unable to get anything on the road against the Paraguayan Giants. What we did get was Emmanuel Adebayor getting a uh, Kung Fu boot onto uh, one of his opponents and getting himself sent off to start his Copa Libertadores career as his first start for Olympia in the competition, which is always a good way. Adebayor will always make the headlines, and we were kind of hoping it might be for his goals, but instead a reckless high boot up towards the face of, a, of an opposition player as he's looking at the ball in the air. But it's a foolish red card to get. And uh, unfortunately, defensory Justicia unable to capitalise on the extra man advantage. They had chances, but couldn't finish much as they had in their opening group game. And Olympia get the victory. And Manuel Adebayor, though, <laughs> welcome to the competition. Yeah, two points, Oli. First, I'm really, I think the real, um, I'm really disappointed that the tournament has halted because you you finally learnt to beautifully execute Defensa y Justicia. So it's kind of a shame <laughs> that you've mastered that at the point where you're not going to be able to say it for the next few months. Second of all, Emmanuel Adebayor. I mean, when he arrived at Olympia, mate, I said, like, what, why are you here? Is it because you have a burning desire to play in the Copa Libertadores? Is it because you want to earn apparently some tax-free money? Or what is it? Like, why are you here? Mm. And, you know, the red card is so stupid. It just made me double down on that opinion of what are you doing here, Emmanuel Adebayo? What are you actually doing? Like, do you want to play in the Libertadores? Because if so, great. Knuckle down and don't get sent off in your first game or your first start. Mm-hmm. So that annoyed me a little bit, that red card from Emmanuel Adebayo, to be honest. Yeah, it's a moment. I already, already question his. I already question what he's doing there, and I think, yeah. So that that annoyed me, but you know, well, he's now going to get paid to not even be on the bench at, for a couple of games cause with a straight yeah. red card. And by that point, you know, you are talking it, the Libertadores could be out of Olympia's hands in terms of whether they can get through or not in that group. So it's a it's a huge detriment for a, a, what, in theory, was going to be a key player for them now getting himself sent off after being a sub in the first game, sent off in the second, misses the third and fourth, and then maybe two games to make an amends and get them through and out of this group. They should still get out of the group, but it's, yeah, it's no foregone conclusion uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, Flamengo getting a 3-0 win against Barcelona, the reigning champions as, as dominant as they could be, really, against a Barcelona side that suddenly, after being fantastic in the qualifying rounds, looked completely out of their depth in that Group A beaten well and truly by Independiente Del Valle in the first game. Hammered at the Maracanã in the second, 3-0. Uh, Enrique, Bruno and, and Caio with the goals, uh, with also, of course, Gabby goal getting on target from the penalty spot as well in that game. There's not much you can say about that, except that Flamengo just continued to look completely untested so far in the competition. Um, and then Sao Paulo, the Brazilian side winning 3-0 against Liga de Quito, which I guess is very frustrating for Liga de Quito after their win over River in the opening game, although a River reserve side. Uh, Sao Paulo bouncing back after the loss to Deportivo Binacional, which was certainly humiliating for them. And on home soil looked a far different proposition uh, for Liga de Quito to face than the one that the Peruvians beat a week before that. Uh, and then wrapping up on the final games, we of course had Gremio against Internacional, the 0-0. Nacional, the Uruguayan side, getting the victory over Estudiantes de Merida, who were quite impressive in their loss in week one. Uh, Nacional with another 1-0 victory. And Racing Club behind closed doors, the first one behind closed doors in the Copa Libertadores because of the coronavirus, uh, getting a 1-0 victory over Alianza Lima, who haven't won in this competition since about the 1800s, I think. They're just a poor Peruvian footballing side and Racing Club played them off the park and should have had way more than just a 1-0 victory but 1-0 victory was enough for uh, Mr. Becca Sese and uh, the Racing Club fans to be very happy indeed Reniero with the goal coming off the bench on 55 minutes and slotting it home on 56 so 
Yeah, is Zaracho the next uh, Messi or what, Oli? Uh, Zaracho is a fantastic player who gets in the right place at the right time, can build up, and then he misses every single sh- effort that comes his way. Both games in the Libertadores, he's had five or six clear-cut chances and hasn't scored uh, with one of them. So, yeah. Well, he scored in the first game, excuse me, against Estudiantes de Merida, but it was, um, yeah, a little bit of luck and good fortune that it came to him where he was and he was four yards out and couldn't miss. So, yeah, he's a, he's a wasteful player in front of goal. And as a Milan fan who are heavily linked with him, yeah, it's just another bad buy coming from South America, I think. But we'll we'll wait and see. There's some creativity to him. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, let's finish off with the groups, mate. We might as well. I don't know. Like until the next games get played, we don't know when it's going to happen. But Group A. <laughs> no, I like this. Only it's like the Titanic going down, but the orchestra is still playing on the deck. <laughs> I think it's good. I think you've got you've got to we've got to have some closure here, Wilson, on the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. So please do finish up with the groups and then uh, yeah. Group A, Independiente <laughs> del Valle lead on goal difference with six points from two games. Flamengo six points from two games, uh, just behind them. Uh, two goals behind them though, and then Junior and Barcelona uh, yet to get off the mark. Group B, Palmeiras and Club Guarani are the top two, but Bolivar on three points as well, level with Club Guarani. Tigre still yet to get off the mark. Group C has the Bolivian side, Jorge Wilsterman on three points, along with everybody else, Atletico Paranaense, Peñarol and Colo. Colo, very tight group that's looking to be. Uh, group D, Again, all on three points. River Plate, Sao Paulo, Liga de Quito and Deportivo B Nacional. Those home games for the Peruvian side may just keep them in the hunt in this group and perhaps even for a third spot to go into the Copa uh, Sudamericana. Group E, Internacional, Gremio, both on four points after they couldn't be separated, including in their riot in their last game, with America de Cali on three points and Universidad Católica uh, bringing up the rear in fourth. Group F has Racing Club on six points, Nacional on six points, neither of them high-scoring sides but doing enough. Estudiantes de Merida and Alianza Lima, third and fourth respectively. Group G sees Santos two wins from two, Olympia one win and a draw on four points in second, and then Delphin with their solo point in third defense at Justicia on no points so far. And finally, Group H, led by Libertad on six points, two wins from two, Boca Juniors on four points, and then Caracas and Independiente Medellin in third and fourth, respectively. Well, that's... uh, Do you want to look ahead to the next games? If we're we're (laughs) being cathartic... (laughs) Is this all staying in, this bit here, really? Uh, yeah, why not? I mean, there's no rules in this world anymore. So, yeah, go on then. Let's uh, let's look ahead to the next games. Mate. Well, amazingly, some of these have been postponed. Um, all of them, in fact. Uh, Defensory right. Justicia, we're going to take on Delphin. Jorge Wilsterman, we're going to take on Atletico Paranaense. Colo Colo against Peñarol. Santos against Olympia. Here's the big one. Sao Paulo against River Plate. I mean, it's it's so hard to think what are these teams going to look like in the next yeah. however many months. Completely. River will beat Sao Paulo, though. <laughs> doesn't Sao Paulo matter. <laughs> no, Sao Paulo aren't very good, mate. They're it, really not. They're like, they lost against Binacional. I know people talk about the altitude, but you should not be losing against Binacional. And then they're, they're just not that good. There's a lot of uh, bluster. There's a lot of huff and puff. Danny Alves thinks he's 25 and he's not. He's running around barking. Like, he, spent, he spends most of the games barking in the referee's ear. Mm-hmm. Um it might, I think they're really overrated and I think River will beat them. You know, uh, Deportivo Binacional take on Liga de Quito next as well. And uh, do they lose the Peruvians? That I mean, it's a 2,000-foot difference between Quito and... Uh, where did Deportivo Binacional play again? It's, it's gone out of uh, my head completely. But, somewhere very, very high up. Yeah, very high. But they're about 12,000 feet and Liga de Quito play at around about 10,000 feet or so, 10 to 11,000 feet. Sure. So the advantage of the altitude doesn't really come in when these two meet? <laughs> no, no, no. No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, Internacional take on America de Cali, uh, which should be a really good game, actually, that because the Colombians have, have really tried and looked quite good in their first two group games with three points from that. Uh, Racing Club take on Nacional, the two group leaders in, in that final group uh, taking on each other. Estudiantes de Merida take on Alianza Lima, Universidad Católica uh, meet Gremio. 
Uh, Independiente Medellin take on Caracas. Libertad against Boca, the top two in their group, battling it out and a big game on the road for uh, Boca in Asuncion. Bolivar take on Palmeiras, which will be a tough test for the Brazilian Giants up in La Paz away from home. Club Guarani will host Tigre, while Independiente del Valle host Flamengo and Barcelona host Junior. And I guess we're done. Yeah, Wilson, you're a top pro, my friend. Top yeah. pro for uh, for getting us to nearly, yeah, well, nearly an hour on this podcast. So, well done, mate. And we will be, uh, yeah, the Copa Libertadores will return because life will return to normal, I'm sure. It's hard to see in the heart of the storm, but, uh, yeah, football will return because people need football, mate. <laughs> Well, hello. Well, hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast, the only podcast covering the Copa Libertadores, South America's grandest club competition. And uh, let me do that again. No worries. Hello and welcome to Wilson and Windsor's Libertadores podcast. What a world. What a world this we're is, in. Wins, this is the thing, Windsor mate. can't even get a sentence out. This is the thing. Once you stop broadcasting for a bit, you start to, you know, you get a bit rusty. You start to lose it. It's, it's horrible. You can leave all this in if you want, mate. I don't care at this point. We're, uh, <laughs> I'll we're, put it in the outros un- at the end. Uncharted territories, yeah. <laughs>